With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dalbert. And I'm Mary Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity and Play. And download archive editions on iTunes. Today on Creativity and Play, we'll explore the complex dance of creativity and science in growing and making wine with our guest, Jim Baker. He's the vineyard manager and award-winning winemaker at Hopkins Vineyard in Warren, Connecticut. Jim and I will be leading a hands-on keynote called The Nature of Wine and Creativity, a Sensory Wine Tasting Experience at the Aldrich Museum's Steam Conference in Ridgefield, Connecticut on September 17th which will be looking at the intersection of creativity, art, science, design, and uh, we'll be doing a closing keynote. And you can find a link to more details about this at creativityandplay.com. Jim Baker, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you, Steve. Well, first of all, I want to tell people that might not have ever been to Hopkins Vineyard that it is in a very beautiful part of Connecticut. We were just talking before we went on about the beautiful view of Lake Warmog, and before I moved to this part of Connecticut, I had no idea that the lake and the place existed, and now I think it's one of the best views in all of Connecticut. So I encourage our listeners that uh, get a chance to go visit the winery and look for Jim out in the vineyard or down in the winery. But I wanted to, to lead off today by just having you tell us about how you became a winemaker in the first place, because you started out in, uh, with a degree in forestry management and then spent some time in the Peace Corps in Thailand and eventually found yourself making wine in Connecticut. <laughs> Tell us how That's that correct, happened. Steve. Um, you know, I was born in the Philippines and uh, I lived overseas. And when I came to the United States for, uh, for boarding school and college, um, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. And after three years of university in Boston, um, I transferred to the University of Maine, um, where I started studying forestry about trees and things like that. Um, because I, I felt a connection with nature. And, and for me, that was a very strong connection. Um, I didn't know anything about trees here in the, in the Northeast. I knew about trees in the Philippines and the way things worked. But um, that that gave me the opportunity to um, proceed uh, pro, uh, to to go in the, in the direction of being out in nature, and that was a very strong uh, connection for me. So after I graduated from the University of Maine, um, I went in the Peace Corps in Thailand, and in doing so, um, I worked at a training facility that taught uh, multidisciplinary. Uh, um, characteristics of forestry, and at that time they were calling it community forestry. Um, so there are lots of interdynamics between 
villagers and and people and using forest as products and um, other products that can be used in the forest. We we learned about economics and and we also learned about other products that could be used other than the trees. So it kind of gave me a, a an idea a background of you know something that I'd wanted to do. But after I got done with the Peace Corps, Peace Corps I came back to, to Litchfield where I live and uh, I, I was looking for a job and I saw an ad in the paper for um, Hopkins Vineyard um, looking for summertime uh, working in the vineyard employment. And uh, so I applied and, and I, I got the job. So I worked that first summer and then after the summer was over they asked me to stay for the harvest and then after the harvest was done, they decided that they wanted me to stay for the winter, the pruning, and uh, and that that's where it all began. Um, I enjoy working outside, and 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 that's that's my joy. Uh, the the winemaking came later. After about five years of of working in the vineyard, um, they asked me to be the vineyard manager. And I started managing the vineyard, and then the owner wanted to retire, so he asked me to be the winemaker. Um, and since I had a background in forestry, I knew about the plants, but I really didn't know much about winemaking. So it was uh, learning on the job, um, learning via the Internet, um, going to seminars and uh, conferences to learn about winemaking and grape growing as well. And we should say that you have won several awards, and most recently with your ice wines, which are, I think, fairly unique to the northern climates where things freeze in the late autumn. And uh, Canada and Germany, I believe, are two other places that are are big with the ice wine. But tell us about that leap from what you know this kind of self-learning that you did, and and how uh, how it has. Um, evolved into the way that that you bring creativity into sort of a daily a daily practice, really, of both you know the, the decisions you make and what to do and grow in the vineyard, but later in the season when you come inside with with the grapes as product, again how you how you make decisions of what to do, what not to do, um, as part of you know what creativity looks like in in this process of winemaking. Right. Um, the growing season is, is um, like anywhere else, is, is very complex in the sense that the weather changes, especially for those of us in the Northeast. The weather changes quite quite often, and you have uh, multiple factors involved with that: uh, rainfall, sunshine, heat, uh, and then you you add a lot of other parameters. Um, for instance, which grape variety grows best where. Um, what slope, what angle of the slope grows, which best, which variety best, and um, you you start throwing all these uh, um, combinations and and permutations out there, and it and it can be extremely complex, and and to be creative in the sense of can we put this grape variety here and have it do this, or can we um, with this dry weather that we've had recently, can these grapes, um, are these grapes okay or do we need to water them? 
or on years that's 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 really wet and 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 cloudy how do we how do we manage the vineyard in the sense to get this kind of uh, product in so that we can make wine from it um, and in my view it all starts out in the vineyard and the way you manage and, and manipulate the grapevines um, really really helps in the winery um, and the, the, the creative part of that is if, if we do one thing out in the vineyard, it gets carried along, but that doesn't mean that you can't change that, um, you know, if you need to. So uh, you, you can be extremely creative in the sense of the things, how you manage the grapevines, um, not only by variety, but crop load and leaf area and and we can we can change those things and see a reaction in the plant and when you get the reaction in the plant you get a reaction in the fruit and when the fruit comes in and and that's part of what I do as well in the sense that you know I have to decide when the fruit is ripe and and how do you decide that and this is where um, it, it like wine tasting grape juice tasting can be very complex and, and complicated. So when I go and start tasting the fruit, um, I, I, I look at to see wh where we are in the season, how the season has gone on, um, what are the options from now until harvest, when is that harvest going to be? And, uh, and the, it's just amazing how, how many choices and how many decisions you need to make on a daily basis when that, when that time comes. Um, actually, I was taking some pictures out in the vineyard yesterday, and some of the red grapes are already all red, which is a little bit early for us, but not surprising because of the weather that we've had. It's been hot and dry, and that's what grapes like. Um, in reference to the ice wine, you said that uh, you know we've won a lot of medals recently. And the ice wine was something that, that I thought of because of something that I read um, back in 2000, and I thought that we could actually do that here um, because it does get cold and we grow some of the varieties that they use. And and coming up with that and how do you do that was a huge learning curve for me. And and But I was able to pull it off. I was able to convince the, uh, the owners that it can be done um, with, you know, trial and error. Everything is trial and error and experimentation. And that's what I started out with was was doing an experiment, um, getting some fruit, uh, making sure that I can make the wine from the fruit that I got in the style of of the wine that uh, that I thought would be a good good option, and uh, and I brought it to them and and they agreed on it and we went from there. Not that not that it's been easy, but it, it's it's very complicated in that sense. And being, being having an open mind and looking at all the different possibilities that you can do, and and how how one little change here could affect fruit quality, therefore wine quality, um, you know, makes a big difference. And and when you have those options available, you know, the the sky's the limit. And um, and I've been I've been very uh, impressed with the with the results that we've gotten from our ice wine. Great. Hi, Jim. Um, I, well, for one thing, I've been, um, as I've been pre preparing for the show, I've been imagining myself in the vineyard. 
And uh, at one point, Steve took me by the winery. And, but now I realize there's this beautiful lake there, Lake Warmog. Warmog. And um, it's, and then I've been hearing as you've been talking, and Steve was asking his questions, different words, nature. You do some photography. You said you were taking some pictures. Yeah. And you're experimenting. So it, and you're going to be, uh, you and Steve both are going to be doing a upcoming conference in September at the Aldrich Museum on the intersection of art, culture, nature, wine, and creativity. Um, so one of my questions is being on this beautiful property and uh, while you're, while you're, you're working on a daily basis, you're experimenting. What, because uh, there's, there's nature and creativity and creativity and nature, and I'm a big nature lover too. Mm-hmm. I wonder um, if you can tell our listeners about your, exper- your experiences both as a winemaker and as a photographer and about your experience with art uh, and science and being on that property and, and the natural elements and being by the lake and the birds and whatever an, other visitors, animals there are, mm. and the plants there, all of that. What's, what's your experience with that intersection, which there is no real – we try to split art and, cult, uh, art and science in our culture, but there is, isn't really a split, is there? Uh, I, don't, I don't feel that there's a split. And, and for me, um, you know, it, it – you you look at it and and as as people say oh you work at a winery and you work at a vineyard it it i mean i'd love to have that job it's so beautiful there and and it really it really is and um when you look at it on a daily basis when you go out and you walk the grapes and you look at them you know sometimes you don't make that connection of i i really live in a beautiful place um, I just I was just in Hawaii for two weeks on vacation, and Hawaii is a beautiful place. Um, but I think it, I think it 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 goes deeper than that. Um, I I never saw myself as a artsy, creative person. Um, I didn't when I was in school. I never thought of it that way, and um, I I started taking pictures. Um, I took a, a photography class at university. Um, just how the camera works in black and white and that kind of thing. And I got to see a different perspective by learning how the camera works and how you can use, how you can change the settings on the camera to change the picture. And when I'm out in the vineyard, um, you know, working, I always keep a little part of my brain, you know, keyed on to whatever I'm seeing, wherever I'm seeing it, because you never know when that moment will come about and say, hey, look at this. This is just beautiful. Or look at this because that's really cool. You know, okay. and, and for me, I, I got my, the hair standing on my arms and the back of my neck. Because, mm-hmm. because if you don't, if you're not open-minded and not aware of that, you're going to miss it. And it doesn't matter if you're in the hills of Litchfield or in in Hawaii or anywhere else. I think you need to be open-minded and aware, and always looking for that little bit of something to 
to connect nature, science, math, and it's all there because everything, everything is interconnected and they're all connected together with color, sky, plants, even on cold, cloudy, foggy days, there's beauty. And beauty is, um, is inspiring and it's spiritual. And, and, and I think once you get that little bug of creativity and you go, wow, I'm going to play with this or I'm going to do this, you know, it, it really is encouraging and, and really gets people going. Well, you know, part of my background is that I was involved with a nonprofit called Art, Culture, Nature. So where we looked at the intersection of art and science. So I love this. Mm. And we had some really, we had Montessori teachers come kind of part of the group. We also had a famous artists and scientists who came and presented what they do and then blend and then came, you know, worked that together as, as we met um, physically uh, in person. And it's, it's just, um, I just love that, you know, breaking that paradigm apart, that those the art and science are separated. And as you say, um, as you're on the property, things change. Set your, your camera settings change, and day by day and seasonally things change. But I also imagine that as you have been working, especially, and as you've been learning even now, I imagine you, you learn moment by moment, that there's been failures because whenever we are creating something, there's bound to be failures. So I wonder if you can talk to our listeners a bit, a bit about some of those, or maybe one failure and how you worked with that and then uh, one of your I know that you do the ice wines, which sound great. <clears throat> Any other uh, successes? So failure and success, and how that works um, in terms of the creativity. Okay, so in for, for right. Um, so the, getting back to the ice wine because it's a perfect example of of that kind of thing. Um, when when I went and I first picked the grapes and 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 I I made the wine from it. Um, I went to them and I and I discussed with them about leaving the grapes because what you have to do for the ice wine is you have to leave the grapes out in the vineyard and they have to hang on the vine and freeze on the vine. So that first vintage to be, we left the grapes out on the out on the vine, and um, on Thanksgiving Day it was it was 12 degrees below the temperature of what we were, were going to pick them at, and. Um, I came to the winery because I had to. I had to set the uh, the wood stove on so that there was heat um, because it was too cold. The winery didn't have heat, and and here I was standing in my shorts, as I as people know, um, I was wearing shorts and <laughs> and sneakers with no socks, and I and here I was looking out with snow out in the vineyard and the grapes hanging out there. Um, this was on Thanksgiving Day. By Monday of that after that weekend. Um, it had gotten to 60 degrees. The deer had come. The birds had come. The bear had come. Everyone that wanted food after Thanksgiving came to eat the grapes. Why? Uh -huh. Because we didn't put netting up. See, I didn't learn enough at the time that you had to cover the grapes with nets. Otherwise, people, animals would come and eat them. And mm -hmm. um, so I lost that first vintage to be of of that um that wine well you uh, learn, you learn by mistakes and 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 the way i am um in the vineyard is you learn by mistakes yes um 
it, the vineyard isn't perfect. Um, I, I strive for per perfection, but I never reach it. Um, but I know what I can do and what I can't do. In the winery, it's a little bit different. I also do experimenting, and um, anyone that comes here will see that I have experiments going all the time. Why? Because I'm always looking to make something better. Um, and, and I do it on a small batch. I do it in small batches. So therefore, if it does go wrong, um, I know that it's only a little bit. But when it goes right, I have an opportunity to make something better. And for, the, for, for those of us in the eastern U.S., um, our growing seasons are different every year. So we have, we have the challenge of having a different growing season every year. It's not always the same. Some years it's hot and dry. Some years it's wet and cloudy. So we have, we have that variability in the grape juice when it comes in anyway. It's never the same. So I have that, that uh, variability right off the bat. But when you have the opportunity to make something from something that may not be the best, you have to make that because you're in a business that needs to, to do that. So on the winery side, I have to experiment um, also with what would happen if this went wrong, just so I have the knowledge of what to do in the future and how I can make things better if this comes arise. If, if these things happen, or or what do I do with this grape variety, or or maybe I try this yeast on the, on this grape variety and see what happens, because that yeast is used for Chardonnay doesn't mean that I can't use it for something else, um, and I do that, and and a lot of times um, it it gets dumped down the drain, but I only do it on a small batch, so it's not a big deal. I I should say that Jim sometimes shares these publicly at, at barrel tastings that Hopkins has hosted at various times. And I think that's where we perhaps first started talking and getting to know each other a few years back. It's where I also first discovered your Lemberger wine, which was unusual and new to me and probably lots of other people. But I, I believe yes. that was another one of those experiments that started and uh, you got feedback on along the way. That, uh, that's correct, want, Steve. So, uh, again, I, I invite our listeners, if you uh, have the opportunity to, to go to one of those events at Hopkins, um, to do so and to find Jim and taste his latest experiment. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to shift us a little bit to what we're doing uh, next month at the, at the STEAM conference in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Um, this will be the second time you and I have done this event together. The first time was at, the, at Hopkins. And... Um, We'll be talking about what happens in the brain when we taste and smell wine, and it's, it's based on some work that Tim Geyser, who's a sommelier and, and uh, sommelier trainer, uh, did with a psychologist. And we won't get too much into that today specifically, but I wanted to really pick up what we are talking about that day of, of um, you know, where do the senses come into all of this, you know, both as, as us lay people who are, are drinking and enjoying what people like you create to enjoy, um, but also for you as the winemaker, and you, you've definitely been touching on where some of this plays in, but um, I think, you know, it's sort of obvious that the taste and the smell part is a big part of it, but I suspect that the eyes and the ears for you particularly also play into this, and, and even intuition. I think you've sort of been alluding to the role that intuition plays um, in the way you, you know, look look at both what's happening in the vineyard and also what's happening in the experiments that you're working on uh, in the winery. So 
talk a little bit about the senses and, and intuition and that intersection that, that play into all this. Yes, yeah, Steve. Um, you know, you have to use all your senses. I would think that uh, at least in the winery with the wine, um, probably the the least used sense is, is hearing. Um, uh, your eyes tell you what you're looking at, and that can be different, you know, depending on certain things. Um, certainly taste and smell are the most important. Um, you you can touch um but uh, wine seems to seems to be about all the same with touch, um, unless you're you're talking about ice wine or something like that. Um, but your palate, as they call it, that you're tasting receptors in your tongue, and and how they work with your nose, and how that connects to your eyes, um, is is a major um, thing that that people see. And just a just a simple example of you know uh, drinking a red wine opposed to a white wine, you know people feel differently when they see things, um, you know, it, and 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 that connects to the brain. And then when you put put something in your mouth, and that accentuates it. And obviously, you know, taste and and smell go together in your mouth. And that's why you swirl the glass, and that's why you do things like that. Um, as well as other things, but um, it, it it's all interconnected. And and how can you do one without the other? Sometimes I don't even think about it. Sometimes I just go with one sense. Maybe I'll just go with with sight opposed to taste, or you know. But I have to include them all. And and you know what is really key for me too is it's not just me. You know, just because I'm the winemaker, I'm not the only one. Because if that was the case what I taste and smell and see, it's only, it would only be one person. So I get other people involved too because I like to have a variety of, of um, people sensing and telling me what they, they see, they taste, um, and smell because that way you have a better rounded, otherwise it would be biased to one person. Um, and the experiments, you know, they they go on, and, and sometimes sometimes I share them, and sometimes people really enjoy them, and then then sometimes they become you know mainline products. Other times they don't. Sometimes they just go to one or two people, and that's it. Um, yeah, but what, what we're gonna do uh, for the for this event, um, we're gonna have people tasting and and smelling and and discussing, and using their eyes to see what they see and 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 tell us what you see because everyone does it differently. Just because I see a rainbow with a coconut tree doesn't mean that the person sitting next to me sees that as well. And it's nice to share what you see with other people, and if they see it or they don't see it, that's up to them and how we can kind of change and manipulate some of that based on really what's happening in our imagination, which I think is one of the fascinating aspects of this, that we can actually change our experience of it by changing what we see in our imagination and and um, even where we look when we're smelling and tasting, which is, is fascinating. So um, we hope that people will come and join us if they're in the region of Connecticut um, on September 17th and and again, Jim will certainly share a lot of what he's been sharing in our conversation today and, and the kinds of things he might normally tell you during a wine tasting, but we'll really push beyond kind of a typical wine tasting to engage people, as Jim was saying, in actually 
telling us also what what seeing and experiencing in that um, case team. And I think you can can share also what you are sensing through writing and photography and other art forms as you you drink that and sip the wine and enjoy that experience. That that's very correct, and and you know, and and you said intuition, and 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 do I know what it's going to be like? I don't, but you know, you 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 can project, but sometimes I don't like to do that because you set yourself up for something that might not be there. So I usually use an open mind, and I don't pre I don't predispose myself to anything before I actually become involved in it. You know, so the picture taking, the, the the tasting, the sight, I try to keep an open mind because it, the 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 possibilities are limitless that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also I think, think the, the touch the touch of your the, the glass went where too, and and what you're imagining or could write, you know, as writers write and. Um, Wine spectators, <laughs> and the labels, and right on label. All that, all that is part of what the experience is too. Absolutely, and and the play of it, and the play of it. Yeah. Jim, in the uh, thirty seconds or so here, quick question: What what's your current favorite wine, or a, or a wine you'd suggest people take a look at that might be new and different to them? Uh, right now, today. Um, Probably, uh, I don't. I, I, I'm not. Um, I wasn't thinking about that kind of thing. Um, but uh, uh, something for us here, maybe a red that might not be uh, super dry, but but not sweet. Um, I would think today's wine for me would probably be a red, the Red Barn Red. Um, if you're looking for something white, uh, maybe something a little fruity. Maybe the cider or um, the Duet would be good today. It's clean, crisp, um, cold. Um, those are probably two wines that, that I would I would recommend today. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Creativity and Play today, Jim. And uh, Jim Baker is the vineyard manager and award-winning winemaker at Hopkins Vineyard in Warren, Connecticut. Jim and I will be leading an experiential keynote on the nature of wine and creativity on September 17th in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And you can find more about this at creativityandplay.com. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by John Batiste. And you can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Ellis Long. Wine is a gift, alchemical in nature. Let's all take a sip. Thanks for joining us, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 